Well, good evening, church. Thanks again, all of you who faithfully tune in for our Sunday night teaching time. We haven't been able to meet Sunday night for a long time, but boy, it's still an important teaching time in our church, and I'm glad to have you joining us. We're in the conclusion of a series on the parables, Lessons from Heaven for Life on Earth. We've been studying the parables for 17 Sunday nights, and we're going to wrap it up tonight. The steadfast heart in the face of the storm. The steadfast heart in the face of the storm. Get a Bible, and let's study from Matthew chapter 7. I'm going to look at verses 21 to 28. Matthew 7, 21 to 28. Jesus is the speaker. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, 22, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, there's those words again, did we not prophesy in your name? They didn't just prophesy, they prophesied in the name of Jesus. Cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name. 23, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And you just have to stop. These people say, we, we, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We did mighty works in your name. And, and Jesus says to them, I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. See, ministry in Jesus' name. Prophecy, casting out demons, mighty works. Ministry in Jesus' name is not the same thing as obeying the laws and the commands and the will of Jesus in all areas of life. You can have a ministry in Jesus' name and not be obeying Jesus in certain areas of your personal life. That happens quite frequently. That's why Jesus, he doesn't deny that they've prophesied and and done mighty works of healing in his name, casting out demons. He doesn't deny that they did those things. But he still says, you're working lawlessness in your personal life. That's the shift. That's the emphasis here. And that's what Jesus is going to get to a parable about in just a minute. 23, then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And now the parable, verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, it's obedience, not just ministry, obedience. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. 26. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them. So two crowds, and they both hear the words of Jesus. But here's a group, 26, hears these words of mine, does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Maybe put a lot of money into it. 27, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. End of the parable. 28, and when Jesus had finished these sayings, 
The crowds were astonished at his teaching. So we've been looking pretty specifically about the teaching of Jesus. I mean, the parables are from Jesus. The parables are the very words of Jesus, his words in the strictest sense. They show the ideas and the thoughts that were closest to the heart of Jesus, and then he gives them picture form in parables so we'll remember them, the truths we need to remember but perhaps could easily forget. And so here's this story of two builders and their two houses. It comes at what a lot of people would say is the conclusion to Jesus' most famous of all teachings, this marvelous sermon. We still call it the Sermon on the Mount. This parable is how he wrapped up that sermon. You can read that sermon in about 15 minutes. But it it covers everything from murder to divorce, from keeping promises to sexual purity, from the Beatitudes to how to have your prayers answered. It's all in that sermon. So how do you wrap up? How does Jesus close this Sermon on the Mount? And the strange thing about it is, if you're in ministry in any way and you've studied preaching and homiletics, the strange thing is Jesus doesn't choose to close this message, his sermon, with encouragement. That's what we like to do. He doesn't close this sermon with comfort. That's what we're encouraged to do. But here's Jesus, the most famous sermon that we have recorded, and he closes the message with, get this, warning. Doesn't seem like a good way to send people home from church. He warns his listeners about the consequences of poor hearing. It's in that 27th verse. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Those are people who, he said, heard his words but didn't do them. Apparently, in Jesus' mind, I think we should focus on this, there are two great dangers facing the church, believers in the church. First, there's this, there's this constant danger of false teaching. Jesus, Jesus, in this very Sermon on the Mount, he warns about false prophets and false teachers. That's in, that's in verses 15 and 16 of Matthew 7. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So there's this danger of false leaders, false prophets, false teachers. But there's a second danger that Jesus deals with at the close of this sermon. And the second danger isn't false teaching, it's false listening. It's in that 26th verse of Matthew 7. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. So so apparently people, people who are exposed to the teachings of our Lord 
the teaching of the word, people could quite literally listen to the words of Jesus in such a way that it caused their lives to collapse and fall apart. Not people who didn't hear the word. He's not talking about atheists here. He's talking about people who did hear the word, but didn't do it. So, I mean, there's just no question about it. How you grasp and understand and apply the message of this single parable, it might be the most important ingredient in determining determining the strength of your life, especially when storms come. And we'll look at that in just a minute. So this parable deals with the outcomes of how we listen to the words of Jesus. And apparently there's nothing more important. I got three or four thoughts. Let's look at them together. Point number one, Jesus in this simple parable is saying, your life is your house. And whatever the quality of construction, you have to live in the house you build. You have to live in it. What is the most important thing about a person? What is it that most determines how any given life is going to turn out? I mean, education is important. Parents spend a lot of money getting the best education they can get for their children. A good standard of living. I mean, that's pretty important. We want the best for our families. We don't want them to have to do without. We want a certain level of comfort. We want our retirement cared for. We want to see that our needs are met. That's important. Or the importance of a good environment. We, we, want, we want our kids making the right friends. We don't want them influenced by the wrong crowd. The Bible says bad company corrupts good manners. 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Good careers. That's another thing that's really important. We want people to, to be successful, to enjoy the future that they carve out for themselves. But, but what, what's the most important ingredient in determining the permanent shape and destiny of a human being? What is, what is the most important ingredient to guarantee a solid, fruitful, safe future? That's the question Jesus is answering in this parable. He says, uh, your life is your house. It's an interesting picture, isn't it? Your, your actions, your actions, they take you somewhere. You're building something. And eventually, you have to live in the house you build. And then Jesus says, if you're going to build that house and you have to live in it, that's your life. There's only one solid foundation for that house. Not two foundations, not three possibilities, just one. The strength of any life, the future of any life, is anchored on faithful understanding and obedience to the words of Jesus. I think we need to think that through. I mean, consider just one verse with me to make this point. 
Look at Matthew 28. Same book, just later on in the book. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Jesus, he's speaking to his disciples. He came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now he's going to talk about what a disciple is. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. I mean, those are, here's the haunting words. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Never mind the teaching part, just for now. Do, do I even do I even know the commands that came from the lips of Jesus? Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Do I know the commandments of Jesus? Can you start reciting them? How many can you recite? Do you know where to find them in the New Testament? I'm not asking that to condemn anybody. Uh, according to our parable today, the issue isn't condemnation. The issue is building your house, building your life. You have to live in the house you build. And if, and if I spend more time with video games and Netflix than pondering and understanding and praying through the words of Jesus, I'm getting my life ready for a move into the slums. It's your own house you're building. This isn't just, this isn't just religious legalism when Jesus says, do this, do this, do this, don't do that, don't do that. A lot of people, as soon as they hear any kind of demand like that, they think, oh, legalism, legalism. Jesus isn't talking legalism. He's talking about how you build your life. What kind of house are you making? So, Whatever opinions people have about the New Testament, its relevance, its accuracy, its truthfulness, Jesus is underscoring the relevance, the importance of his words to real life in a real world. His words aren't just the centerpiece for sort of an impressive religion. His words aren't just of theological interest for seminary students. No, you only get one life. You only build one house. And eventually it will fall apart if Jesus' words aren't applied to all of it, all the time. Okay, point number two. Jesus divides hearers of the word into Two crowds, two groups. I think, I think we probably find it a bit annoying just to recount the number of times Jesus divided his followers into two and only two groups. He does it over and over. Even in the Sermon on the Mount, he's already talked about two ways and two gates. That's in verses 13 and 14 of Matthew 7. He talked about two kinds of trees in verses 15 to 20. He talked about two professing followers on judgment day. That's 21 to 23. And now, again, two builders. It's always just two, never three. 
I mean, we look at the visible church. We look at like Cedarview Community Church, the crowds that gather in this church on any given Sunday, and we just see one crowd. Jesus always sees two groups of people. In any church, he sees two groups of people. Here's the dividing point in the mind of Jesus. While everybody who comes to church feels the word might be important enough to hear, not everyone who comes to church feels it's important enough to obey. And that's where the house gets built. I think we all recognize, don't we, the reality of that kind of division? I mean, look at the broad culture. We live in a culture that, for the most part, admires Jesus quite a bit. On a certain level, everybody, everybody loves goodness, or most people, goodness, faith, virtue, honesty, love. And most people equate the Christian faith with those kinds of things. I mean, atheists will send their kids to a Christian school if they think it's going to protect them from some of the corruption in the environment around them. Almost everybody agrees that Exposure to the principles of Jesus. Love one another. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Better to give than to receive. We all kind of think, well, aren't those nice? Aren't those nice? But while the words of Jesus are important enough to hear, they aren't always deemed important enough when it comes to commands to obey. Maybe not practical enough for fast lane executives or flexible enough for the tastes of the crowd. Perhaps the words of Jesus are just considered too difficult to obey in this world of temptation and compromise. For whatever reason, frequently the words of Jesus are are heard, admired, but kind of left on the night table when we take off in the morning and start our work week. And all of that leads to the third point that I want to look at. Only obedience to Jesus will hold your life together. That's the thing. It's not an issue of convenience or how easy it is. It's a matter of what kind of house do you want to build? Surely that's the point of the parable. I must never rest my life, my future on anything less than uh, absolute, thoughtful, uh, seriously studied, applying the words of Jesus to my life. My feelings. My feelings aren't a reliable foundation for my life. My wealth isn't a reliable foundation. My success, that's just sand. So, so these things will not hold me up on a secure foundation. Your past experiences in God's grace, precious as they are, they aren't enough in themselves to give you strength for the future. Even my knowledge of the promises of God's word won't all by itself do the trick. No. Only complete, current obedience. Obedience to the words of Jesus, that's the only thing that will hold the structure of my life together. I I think this was such an important point of understanding in the mind of Jesus. He instructed his followers to constantly pray they wouldn't forget it. Do you remember the Lord's Prayer? He said that I should pray all the time. 
that the Father's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not known on earth, not admired on earth, but done. Let it be done on earth the way it's done in heaven. Why? Well, because that's, that's, what, that's what holds my life together. Can you imagine spending all the time and money, think of it today, to build a whole house, big house, three-car garage, and to build it all on nothing but sand? We're, we're meant to see the blindness of that kind of activity, the self-destructiveness of not knowing and obeying the words of Jesus. Point number four, and I think there's sometimes a misunderstanding here. Every house must face the storm of God's judgment, and I worded it very specifically. I was going to just say every house is going to face storms. True enough, but that's not what this is about. I want to show you that. Every house must face the storm of God's coming judgment. 25 and 27 of Matthew 7, and the rain fell and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Okay, that's the one that's built on the rock, doesn't collapse in in the storm. 27, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, beat against that house. Exactly the same, no change, and it fell. Great was the fall of it. And I know, I've I've heard a lot of... uh, Different preachers and teachers, they often use this text to talk about building a life that can stand up to the trials that befall us in this world. True enough, sickness, bankruptcy, bereavement. And the Bible does have a lot to say about how God will strengthen and keep the faithful through those kinds of trials. But that's not what this text is about. And I think the context makes it pretty clear. It forces Another interpretation on that parable. Look at the words, 21 to 24 of Matthew 7. This is what launches into the parable. Here's the context. Jesus speaks and says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven. 22, on that day... Look at what day this is. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name, do mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That's the judgment. People standing before Jesus. And then look at the next verse, 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house upon a rock and into the parable. There's just no escaping the fact. This whole parable is cast by Jesus in the time frame of the last judgment. People are going to stand right before Jesus, and all sorts of words will be said. People, all people are going to be anxious to be, they're going to be anxious to be on very good terms with Jesus when they stand before him. Look what we did. Prophesied. We cast out demons. Jesus, look. But their their words aren't going to make any difference. Jesus won't be listening to the words at that time. He's going to look at the life. 
He's going to look at the house that was built by not just great acts of ministry, but by doing the things he commanded, avoiding the things he forbade, repenting of the things he said needed repenting of. And at that time, this is such a, imagine Jesus finishing a sermon like this. At that time, there's going to be a lot of houses that looked fine from the outside. Maybe had a tennis court and a swimming pool. And at that moment, standing before the Lord, those houses are going to collapse. They're going to crumble. There'll be nothing there to hold them up. There'll be nothing at that time. It's too late. There'll be nothing they can do to save those houses then. Other lives will stand up fine. Other people will feel no fear or shame. John talks about faithful, obedient people who love his appearing. Others will fall, collapse. It's not a new concept in the scriptures. The psalmist described the same thing. That famous Psalm 1, probably the best known, maybe next to Psalm 23. Psalm 1, verses 5 and 6. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. That's the same picture. The same picture. The same time frame. According to David, it's actually worded in the same language. So Jesus, the same language Jesus used in the Sermon on the Mount. The the wicked man, the one who refused to do the will of God as revealed in his word, he will not stand in the judgment, David said. We know what that means. If he doesn't stand, he falls, which is just exactly what Jesus said about this house, this life in his parable. And great was its fall, Matthew 7, 27. So, I mean, this is a wonderful parallel, parable, sorry. It it, it contains the, the building codes, for putting the life of a faithful disciple together. It's probably the best way to close any sermon. Here is all I know about the Christian life. All I know about how to live a life that will stand in the storm of judgment. Find out what Jesus wants you to do. Study the words and teachings of our Lord. Never argue with the Holy Spirit when he speaks to your heart. Do his will right away, regardless of how difficult and regardless of how unpopular or intolerant it's labeled by the crowd. And your life will stand when Jesus comes again. That's a great way to close a series on the parables. I mean, what we've been looking at for 17 weeks. It's the words of Jesus. The things Jesus said were important. The things Jesus said I need to think about now. As he wraps up, he says, you need to to keep thinking about this long after this series is over. Because for the rest of your life, day by day, it's, it's obedience to the lordship of Jesus that puts your life on the kind of foundation that will joyfully stand and embrace our Lord when he comes again. 17 weeks in the parables. Um, 
Got a lot of stuff coming up in some new series. Don't forget about Wednesday night right here in this, uh, in this room. We, we study teaching time together. We're finishing the book of Judges. There'll be study notes for everybody. There's kids' ministries at the same time. Pretty good crowd gathers every Wednesday night, 7 o'clock. So those are the in-person services. Sunday at 10, right here. Wednesday at 7, right here. We'll look to see you. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the way it reminds us of the things that we've studied in the past, not just as an academic resource, but knowing them in the sense of building our life on the foundation of the Lordship of Jesus. So that when judgment comes, and it will come one day, we will be among those who love your appearing and hear your faithful words. Well done good and faithful servant. Bless Cedarview. Keep us all safe and in your care, loving one another and humbly doing the will of our Lord Jesus every day. In whose name we pray, amen. Bless the church.